welcome to Peak Show, where it is against our programming to impersonate a deity. I'm your host, Bad Motivator R2 Unit, Bree Rohde, and who is with me on the line today? I don't like sand. <laughs> uh, Michael Stevens, happy to be back for the, to be the Steve Martin of your of this wonderful program. I think we're going to drop you and Liz and Kelsey in a ring together, and you guys just need to fight, I think. See, I think the last time you said this, it was just Liz that I had to fight. Now I'm now I'm out like I'm I'm just progressively getting knocked out earlier and earlier in these rounds by by adding more people to it. Kelsey really kind of uh, came from behind because she did the uh, she she was the host of our Mel Brooks episode, but she also came to the rescue with our Adam Sandler episodes. So uh, and uh, just kind of brought Jason along for the ride. But uh, yeah, don't don't sleep on Kelsey. She's a real um, I don't know what's a hockey team that did unexpectedly well this this postseason. I'd say the Rangers. Yeah, I would say Rangers is the closest. Everyone kind of did exactly how you'd expect they would. But uh, she's, she, and she is a New Yorker. So there you go. Kelsey Goldman, the real New York Rangers of Peak Show. Um, well, um, we are real not Eeyore here. Your Shesterkin type, which could also be a Star Wars name. Absolutely. Shesterkin is very Star Wars y. Uh, that could so, be a planet, <laughs> well, system. The, <laughs> the uh, one one which I have the death sentence on. Uh, you heard it right, folks. We are back for uh, week two of Super Month, uh, a.k.a. Attack of the Blonde Nerds. Uh, you guys loved our Eric Siska episode this week, but not to be outdone, we have brought back friend of the show, Mike Stevens. He is a man of varied tastes. He loves King of the Hill. He loves Arrested Development, but... He is a white millennial male, and he loves Star Wars. Now, Mike, you informed me that you've read uh, well over a dozen extended universe novels, and I want to say I'm very impressed, a little surprised, because, uh, Mike, you have a child, and Mm -hmm. he looks exactly like you, so you are confirmed not a virgin, Um, and you have... I I mean, much like how Anakin Skywalker has no father. (laughs) <laughs> uh, who who knows? Maybe maybe my kid has no I'm no biological father. Who knows? We'll, yeah, we'll keep it a mystery. <laughs> that is also very Jesusy, which I mean. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of religious stuff in Star Wars as well. But uh, yeah, so I uh, I figured. I mean, really, what would have been ideal would I guess be to have you and Eric have done almost like a showdown or something because, um, frankly, you guys have extended universe knowledge that I do not. I am a very pedestrian fan of Star Wars and I love it, but um, you know, you've invested all this time and energy into learning about Star Wars, um, so uh, we got to reward that. Now, Mike, sure. you've told us about you know you feel you peaked on your wedding day, but now you know we like to switch things up and ask. If you tell me about a moment in your life that is peak Mike, you know, someone thinks of uh, Mike Stevens. Oh, yeah, that's the guy who whatever. What is a peak Mike moment? This is always the hardest question. You could ask me about the different planets and I could give you a million answers on on that. And I could tell Mm -hmm. you like my favorite book, Star Wars Hero. Could I tell you a peak me moment? Um, I mean, I guess so a sort of a a, a peak thing that comes or, or something that features prominently in my life um, is I am very good at uh, like a a skill of mine is saving something that I screw up. Usually it'll be in like the kitchen. I'll be like sort of like showing off in front of the missus Mm -hmm. and having a fun time and like twirling a knife and then I'll drop it. But then I will quickly catch it before it, you know, impales my foot and sends me (laughs) to the hospital. And so I have this like tendency to look really cool and having like, wow, quick reflexes, quick, yeah, good dexterity, all of that. You're like a movie but, character. 
a little bit, a little bit, except one day this is going to end with me getting crushed by a bookshelf. Like that's <laughs> Rachel's going to come down. She's going to, she's going to hear a calamity in the basement and she's going to come down. And I was probably doing something real stupid being like, Oh, I can just scamper up this shelf to put something away. And then it's going to come and, and collapse. me. eventually my luck will run out. I feel like uh, uh, a peak me is like dropping a piece of cutlery and catching it before it hits the ground. But it was because I was being an idiot beforehand. <laughs> I, I like that, and I promise uh, if I will do all I can to be the one that catches you in the act of finally screwing up. Um, I mean, well, probably... someone's gonna want to find someone's gonna want to find the body, right? Yeah. that's the. <laughs> I mean, uh, this may make me seem like a busybody, but uh, when I put it plainly to people, my job is finding things out for a living. I will mm -hmm. find things out, you know. <laughs> now. I guess the best best way to kind of kick it off is to tell me a little bit about, um, you know, how you got into Star Wars, um, other than just being a child in North America. Yeah. Um, I mean, first I'd say, much like everyone who's investing uh, uh, these days, it's gone to shit being uh, a, a reader of the extended universe. But I'll be honest, I don't really ever remember a time in my life when Star Wars wasn't a part of my life. Um, you know, I was born after Return of the Jedi had come out, but I have, I'm one of the youngest cousins in my family and all of my older cousins, especially the boys, but all of my mm -hmm. older cousins had consumed Star Wars. Um, I know that my, uh, older cousin Paul had a Yoda hat that was a big deal like that. There's a ton <laughs> of pictures of him as like a, a four-year-old with a Yoda hat, um, that was a big deal. Um, but I had the movies. I don't know if they might've been my cousin Paul's. <laughs> but we had them on VHS original and then um I have I got DVDs of it um my 13th birthday uh was when Phantom Menace came out oh. um <laughs> yes and so that was my that was what we did for my birthdays we went to the Phantom Menace and I loved that um and I was also probably reading the extended universe books by 11 or 12 as well so really it was always in my life in some capacity, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is probably true of a lot of the fan base that that uh, uh, is still around is like, I don't know how many, I really don't know how many people who are 20 are like, I love all of Star Wars, but I feel like there's a lot of people who are pushing 40 or even into their, well into their 40s, into their 50s even, who are like, this has been a part of my life so long. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, my, my husband being one of them, um, like I said, he was eight seeing Empire in theaters. Um, and I would pay so much to have the experience of being an eight-year-old seeing Empire in theaters. That that would have been yeah, everything. That would have been. Yeah. Um, and I mean, um, and I think everyone. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say that kind of makes me wonder what you said about um, what the Gen Z perception of Star Wars is. Because I feel like, you know, obviously we are somewhat quote unquote after the time of the original uh, series, but because you and I had older siblings and or older cousins, we had it passed down to us in that almost mm -hmm. folkloric sense. And then the rite of passage of growing into the prequels and you know, however successful those were, we were able to develop our own opinions about the prequels and then the sequel trilogy and stuff. But I just don't know how it hits with Gen Z. Like it's not, something i see but then again i don't know i don't do a lot of gen z market research i mean one of my old dance students who was like 15 at the time i said i said something about oh i saw a kid dressed up for halloween as baby yoda and she looks at me she goes you know yoda's not actually his name and I, in like the bitchiest voice but i'm like oh okay so like 
I obviously like the the Disney Plus stuff is pulling some kids in. It I just be. yeah, I'm just not sure if the whole like needing to have an opinion about Star Wars, like if it is still that same cultural touchstone as much as it's just it's a pure IP game now. I I mean I think it's the yeah the ubiquity of the franchise at this stage. I think part of why it was so good at at sticking around originally was i mean a they were a fascinating story and 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 you know wonderful uh effect special effects that that you know in the 1970s and early 80s had never been seen before that would inspire all sorts of things but this is you're talking about stuff that is now there's been drastically more media made about star wars post 2005 say than all of it combined, you know, before, like, you can pick almost any year and there's there's more stuff. So I would imagine that if Gen Z has a connection to things, I'm guessing it's probably in the same way that, that I was born slightly after the original trilogy. A lot of them would have been born around or during the, uh, the, the, the prequel trilogies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then probably would have grown up on Clone Wars if it was on, you know, Teletoon or Cartoon Network or whatever yeah, it was Yeah, it was Teletoon on. for me. <laughs> um, and so I think I think they would have like maybe in in some ways Darth Vader is is the significant and most important figure, and Han Solo maybe it, for people of our vintage, but for them it would be Anakin because they've mm-hmm. seen Anakin as the boy, they've seen him as the you know Padawan, the emerging man, the emerging master. Then his fall, uh, Clone Wars has so much stuff involving him as well that like where you before the fall and so maybe they have more connection to anakin versus vader um but uh you know i can't imagine like i don't i don't know how much a 20 year old is really going to care about alec guinness Uh, well that's exactly what i was going to say i was going to say whether it's at least you can say vader image wise the the iconography of darth vader i think anyone of any age would know um but I was just thinking, their Obi-Wan is not Alec Guinness. Mm-hmm. And for me, even though I've gotten far more, if you look at you know just the minutes on screen, far more Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan than... Pardon me, um, I'm drinking a lot of sparkling water right now, and I just... Um, that, was, that was not very ladylike of me. Um, we should leave this in, though. Oh, um, that'll be that'll be the end blooper reel. Um, I know you guys are a sparkling water house. Uh, this PC like soda flavored sparkling water. It's cherry vanilla, and they have um a cream yeah. soda flavor. So fucking good, but really burpy. Um, yeah, like if you look at minutes on screen, I've seen far more um, uh, far more Ewan McGregor Obi Wan than I have Alec Guinness Obi Wan. But for me. Right. Obi-Wan will always be Alec Guinness or genuine class. And I don't know. Um, and I, I I worry that I sound very old man yells at Cloud when I say that. I don't know. I mean, it's it's interesting because I think I um, I think Obi-Wan is the character with the most potential that they've wasted. Um, uh, but. I mean, I I guess when I picture in my head like what I what I conceptualize, it's it, it'll always be Alec Guinness. Mm-hmm. Um, by the same token, I have to say, you and McGregor will probably end up being most known for being Obi Wan Kenobi and doing it so well and so and for such a prolonged fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's also the hotter of the two Obi Wans, <laughs> if we can be perfectly honest. Especially once he grows the beard out, um, looking pretty good. 
You know, I had said in my episode with Eric that I thought actually the biggest like star presence of the prequels was Liam Neeson. Uh, and I know he's a problematic person. Um, I hate to say this, but as I was uh, rewatching episode one as well, I was like, you know what? Liam Neeson, pretty hot in, in, uh, in the oh, absolutely. Prequel. Yeah. I, I kind of forgot that he was a striking man when he was a little bit younger. All right. So you mentioned that you thought Obi-Wan was kind of the character with a lot of wasted potential. So I mm-hmm. wanted to kind of maybe build off some of the things that Eric said um, that I probably didn't dive into as much as I should have because... I don't have as much of a personal connection to this, but talking about kind of the per- the betrayal of the character of Boba Fett um, that a lot of people have felt throughout the canon of Star Wars um, that I guess really started with the prequels and then has kind of continued on with the book of Boba Fett. Um, I understand it. It's more just something that never really blew my hair back or riled me up because, like I said, I was a bit more of a pedestrian fan. But I was wondering if you had uh, kind of strong feelings about uh, about Boba Fett. I, I mean, I have, yes, I have strong feelings about <laughs> everything in life but i have no i do so uh, this is a great question so it ladders up to a bigger problem that i think a lot of fans have expressed with george lucas's um tinkering um yeah (laughs) this is a problem and i think this is a problem as well that's going to exist i think as a a whole thematically if you could put a a, one of the, the big faults but but really Django Fett was a cool concept. Tamora Morrison did a good job of it. Um, I think I think there's so much potential that could have been actually you could make some really cool stuff about the clone troopers. I know that they do that a little bit in Clone Wars, um, but redubbing Boba Fett's lines in the original trilogy for with with Morrison's mm-hmm. voice acting, I don't necessarily like the precedent that that has set in a lot of works of fiction that it's like, yeah, well, when it becomes more palatable for us, we're just going to put in someone else. Um, now, I do like it's kind of a cool way to add in uh, a more unique perspective of having this. Here's a father and a son and a clone. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of hitting all of these cool concepts that I think George Lucas wanted to explore more on. The execution isn't great i also don't think that boba fett could possibly defeat could continually be like a real problem for uh uh jedi knights and jedi masters but he seems to be a very very capable person obviously but it's it just seems like something that doesn't make a lot of sense mm-hmm. and i'm also fine i have i have this feeling is that man it would have been great if boba fett just we don't need to know what happens to him after the sarlacc because yep that was the most important moment of his life mm-hmm. was the Sarlacc pit and coming out. Now there's also books. There are books about him actually getting out of the, the Sarlacc pit in, I think tales of the bounty hunters mm-hmm. um, that, that is, that is cool. I think he and Dengar work together. This is, this is incredible inside baseball, even for, uh, even for star Wars fans here. My virginity is getting reinstated as we speak. Exactly. Yeah. Um, being reconstructed anyway, but <laughs> Anyway, Star Wars loves to be like, hey, do you know this thing that you really enjoyed that might have only had two minutes of screen time and might have only had four words? Mm-hmm. What if you knew everything? What if you knew about their 13th and 14th best days of their life? Yeah. Who cares? I don't I don't care. I don't know how to tell you how much I don't care. 
beyond the fact that I don't care. Uh, and and this is true, unfortunately, even of the Book of Boba Fett, which I couldn't get all the way through. I found fairly boring and bleak. Did anyone like Book of Boba Fett? Uh, the answer is yes, Jared Daly. But did anyone else like Book of Boba Fett? I, I... I heard that some of their best rated episodes are their crossover ones with The Mandalorian. Um, yeah. Like if you look at the IMDb scores on stuff like that, they did well there. Mm-hmm. Um but I also I also think some people are just like, yay, Boba Fett. Yeah. Yay. Um, I mean, there are some, and like Jared, a big, big a Star Wars fan as he is, he has never claimed to be a person who lets himself get riled up about anything Star Wars wise. Like he, um, he is just happy for more content um, to the point where he didn't even really have much of a pin, an opinion on um, Luke Skywalker being digitally reconstructed. Um, what I think my biggest uh, grievance with um, with Book of Boba Fett is what a waste of Stephen Root. You and I are both big Stephen Root fans, and I was so excited uh, because I really I will give this uh, credit to Star Wars, and maybe I was a bit harsh on it even is it has done some great casting of getting like random little character actors in uh, whether it be the prequels or the sequel trilogy or you know all these series and stuff it's nice for certain people to pop up but i just feel like steven root he's so good he's so good in everything and um and he also wanted a paycheck yeah you know and And, that's how that's how character actors get their paychecks but um I, I guess I would have loved to just see more of him, see him do something more interesting. Um, he is very good at being just like dark and terrifying. Like I think of his role in Get Out or whatever. And so um, like I, I found it also funny, like um, as a fellow Canadian slash Torontonian, I'm sure you like me, um, were all giddy to see Appa from Kim's Convenience uh, for those mm-hmm. couple episodes in The Mandalorian. Um, I don't, think he he was that great and i just thought his uh like oh you were an alder did you lose anyone i lost it like that would to me was one of the worst little pieces of dialogue and stuff and i'm just like this was a very poorly acted character in my opinion and so it would have been nice to just give because he got more meat than steven root in my opinion Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean who knows there there could be any number of things from how much it would cost, other conflicts, uh, yeah. you know, how many days they could they could be shooting for, COVID restrictions might have come in. Like there could have been, and yeah. stuff could have been left on the cutting room floor. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I will I will say, and this is not to, to Disney's credit here at all, I feel like it's quite possible that they often leave better stuff on the cutting room floor. Normally you think of stuff getting left on the cutting room floor as being not necessary. Mm-hmm. I get the feeling that they're just like, hey, what's a worse decision? Let's go with that one instead, especially <laughs> with their later work. It's just so brutal. It is not wrong to have a cynical view of Disney in this like in this context. And I think sometimes it there are a lot of people who have maybe too cynical a view of Disney when it comes to the point of like, you're going to give them your money anyway. So it feels almost like a front. But then... It is, there are other people who kind of push too far back the other way. And um, I, I think you do have to, now with this being huge Disney IP, you have to approach it with a lot, a good deal of cautious cynicism. Um, for example, you know, what you said about like exploring every little uh, detail of a character's backstory and stuff, like um, 
I feel like that is a very cynical cash grab. And, um, you know, a character like um, Ahsoka Tano, like, uh, mm-hmm. I I love her. And I really love that they cast Rosario Dawson um, uh, for as her. I Am I excited about the prospect of her leading a series? Um, yeah, I guess. But it's more that she's a character who delights me when she shows up in other things. And so I'm like, I just, I have this almost overwhelming feeling of being overwhelmed. I don't, I don't know if I want more. I don't. (laughs) And I don't think, and I, I don't think that, that a lot of people want anything more. Um, But of course, Disney needs to, Disney needs to generate new things for us to watch. They need to justify their streaming service. I'm sure that they have actuaries that are looking through and are like, we retain this subscriber base if we put out something with someone from one of the prequels if we put out you know like like uh, uh if we put out something that oh wow this is what's going to happen to Darth Maul now and uh, and and oh hey do you like this actor who played a role for 5 minutes let's bring them back i you know i i feel that we could just go away from the story or or Stay in the story. Stay in the story as much as... Oh, man, I love it. Cool cool thing. Okay. Tell a fucking original story. Mm-hmm. How many times has Obi-Wan saved a princess on a planet <laughs> or from somewhere having been kidnapped by the bad guys? Basically three times. And one of them twice. He's Space she, Mario. Basically, actually, yes. Yeah. And... This is why I kind of liked the Clone Wars story because it was like, hey, did you know that Obi-Wan did something other than rescue a princess? Yes. Oh, it that that's one of the that's one of the things where where basically the three most important moments of Obi-Wan's life were the first time he saved a princess, then the second time he saved a princess, and then the third time he died saving a princess. Mm-hmm. And they all happen to be again. In one case, it's it's, it's Leia twice, and and then it's her mother. Uh, this reliance on the mystical bloodline of the Amidala or Organa or Skywalker family is we get it. They're the princes of the universe. I completely understand, but there are other cool stories that you could be telling mm. about so many characters. So that's where I'm actually. I'm okay with trying something new, but they're not going to try something new. Yeah. I sometimes feel like the reason I liked the Clone Wars a lot as a tween and teen, and actually, like, I didn't even realize how fucking long the Clone Wars went on for. It's like 200 episodes or something. Well, like, the Clone Wars started when I was in middle school, and it finished after I graduated university. Like, that's insane. Um, And, but it's a very easy show to go in and out of. I find um, definitely because it's a lot more nonlinear and stuff. But what I liked about it is because like as a writer myself and someone who does like outside my day job, I do dabble in fiction writing. One thing I love and can get so caught up in is world building. And when I write my story Bibles and stuff like I'm big on always having a story Bible and, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, I, I really love super specific settings. So you go through all that and it kind of feels when you watch the Clone Wars like you are peeking into the story Bible. Mm-hmm. What 
Um, more recent material feels like is like I'm reading character descriptions and characters are, if you are a very character driven person, I guess that can be cool. But to me, what makes Star Wars really cool is the world. Um, the other thing too, as Eric pointed out, um, if it's George Lucas, who's handling things creatively, I think you are a bit fucked because he is not an actor's director. So yeah. that's part of why I think the prequels really come across as cardboard. Um, I wanted to um, point out another thing because I did another rewatch because I, I think I actually recorded with Eric like well over a month ago um, about the prequels that I kind of didn't take a lot of notes on at first. But I think the reason a lot of the prequels kind of go over like a lead balloon in some cases is because of a lack of tension. And that if you aren't doing a big like battle or you know lightsaber battle or space space explosion or even the pod racing scene everything kind of is not directed with a sense of tension or anticipation so especially like episode one the trade federation stuff really for one thing i was a little kid so it was really hard for me to understand i'm like mm -hmm. why am i watching this political thriller um i did indeed sound like danny devito as a child um the like it took me out of the movie. I didn't understand it, but like there were parts of episodes four through six I didn't understand as a child either, but the actors, the cinematography, the art direction really puts you in a moment of tension so you can at least understand this is why these people are scared or whatever. So like, um, so I compare it to A New Hope in the scene where um, Obi-Wan and Luke seeing the hologram of Princess Leia uh, for the mm -hmm. first time. That's just a scene inside a house. And it's... It, you feel this tingle in you of moving the plot forward, whereas other things in the, uh, particularly in episode one, but um, two and three as well, just fully take you out of the movie. And I think that comes from lack of just really caring about the actors and also maybe not as good of art direction. I think, I think art direction is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. um, I think especially where you have the, the issue and you, 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 this is an excellent, this is an excellent, for instance, that you've given here of, of the call to adventure, um, of, of help me Obi-Wan Kenobi or my only hope mm -hmm. that you're right. The stakes are so small. It's so tiny. Uh, for the listeners at home, I am putting my fingers really close to each other. It's about the size of a burger. What he looks like he's holding yeah. a burger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's small and you've already seen spaceships You've already seen lasers and 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 you've seen a big mechanical guy who's who's huge and, and is choking people with his hands and everything. God, I but wish now, that were me. I right. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, anyway, but what's so great about that though is but then you are bringing it down. It's like, yeah, here's some simple farm boy. Here is here is the character that we are going to love mm -hmm. who has met the old wizard in their hovel and everything's gotten really close and tight. Okay, well, we know that there's a galaxy out there. Let's go out there and rescue this princess. And it's it, there's this great contrast that you've been, you've had all this set up. And it's not, again, it's not like the Trades Federation set up of like, there is a trade embargo of the planet Naboo by the Evil Trade Federation, who are weird Asian fish monsters, George? Really? <laughs> okay. All right. You're sure? You're sure we couldn't make them slightly less racist? Okay. And you're going to add Jar Jar Binks right away, too. Okay. All right, George. Had some. He was going through some stuff in the early uh, 2000s and late 90s. Um, but you, but, so you have that where 
you're sh it's showing versus telling. We're being told about the Trade Federation versus we're seeing an, a capture of a ship, and then we're seeing things are so small, and you're 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 in you know you're 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 in the hobble, and that means they're going to go home, and and you know you you now have that call to adventure to go back to the farmstead and see that the stormtroopers have killed everybody. That you have to keep moving. You can't go back home. You have to go forward. Everything is there. And that that's wonderful versus having everything told to you in in a very annoying opening crawl. Yeah. This parliamentary procedure. And then, and this is, I think, the real problem with the prequels of both at the time and what it's done since, all of its CG. Very few set very few sets are real. Mm -hmm. Whereas the original trilogy, almost everything is real all the time. And so it it maybe doesn't look as polished. But it looks tactile. It doesn't look like someone's in front of a green screen, and that's the legacy of movies ever since. Ever since the prequel trilogies came out, is yeah, we can do everything in front of a green screen and put CG behind it. We don't yep. need, we don't need real. And now they're doing it even more with the deep fake people. Oh my god! Like nothing, nothing is real. I, I don't even have anything intelligent to add to it because I get. I get emotional about it, and again, I don't want to feel too like old man yells at cloud. But I think of. Um, Movies were, they still are, but in smaller doses, so magical. And mm -hmm. I really, like, I think I remember the first time I ever saw a movie as being magical. I was very young, too young, again, too young, uh, watching Terminator 2. And mm -hmm. I remember thinking how scared a movie could make me and then realizing this is just something on my TV screen. This is magic or the way. And I think you are among these people. Like people have traveled to New Zealand to go like pay homage to the sets, which um, Lord of the Rings were shot on. Cause I know uh, your yep. wife and I presume you big Lord of the Rings fans. Um, how excited we get when we see Toronto in a movie or something. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes it's even like, well-built it's you know even soundstage sets can be absolutely incredible because you look at all the craftsmanship that goes into it and i do not want to discount the work that goes in on the digital side that's obviously very hard work but it just doesn't feel um this is super hyperbolic it doesn't feel like a triumph of the human spirit anymore it doesn't feel like a labor of love anymore it i i think you're right that there's there's this element of what makes the moving picture so compelling mm -hmm. is that as a viewer you do have the screen in front of you which is you know you're you know that there is that disconnect that you're in reality and that you're watching non-reality but there comes a point where you're like but i could almost walk in mm -hmm. you can't almost walk into any of the prequels you are like i am uh, i am on a green screen like you would you would you would be very on if you've ever actually been on a green screen or 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 like something have, where you're gonna yeah. do a lot of cgi work it's you actually kind of have to give actors a lot of credit for being able to pretend to say normal things at all when everything is this weird bright uniform color and everything you know everything just looks so weird that's like yeah is mm. it gonna look good I have no clue. That's up to the animator's hands. We'll find out in 18 months. Like yeah. that's, but that's hard to act in. Um, that's hard to immerse yourself in. You want something a little more tactile. And there are few things that feel more tactile than, than the original trilogy because it's, there's moments of closeness. Everything is, you know, uh, even though the Millennium Falcon is made and it is a set, mm -hmm. 
when when Han is resting up against the bulkhead of the Millennium Falcon, that's real. Yep. You know, that's there. It it it's not him resting up against some green foam that in turn will have something painted basically over it. It's, you know. Yeah. Um, and and you feel it in the actors too, in their chemistry as well. And, you know, I feel like I feel like a real chump in this because I'm talking to someone who's actually studied acting. But um I, I just find like there are so much, and this extends far beyond just Star Wars, but um where and I don't even when the actors are in the same room together, because I mean Star Wars is not it's not um like Avengers level where you're finding out months later that these people shot this in two fucking different places or whatever. But um, one of the things that I just hated about the sequel trilogy, even in the better movies, was like I found um, and how problematic their relationship was aside. Um, Kylo Ren and Rey do not have any chemistry together. I'm sorry. And I, I like both those actors. I love Adam Driver. Um, there's no chemistry there. And I do feel like like you said, is it a matter of not being able to fully immerse yourself in a character because you're not surrounded by things? Like, I don't expect everyone to go full Heath Heath Ledger method on things, but um, when nothing feels real, it's like, I don't know, I feel like it does come across to more discerning audience members. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think it's it's partially um, it's it's partially sort of how things have been set out and, and put in front of you. I, they got better directors than George Lucas for the sequel trilogy. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, the trilogy <laughs> films. I like that's that's fair to say. Um, I think as well, uh, and this and this might be me getting a little too artistic on this one. There was no real buildup that made them look like anything than adversarial. There and like, yes, I know that in a lot of will they won't they, there's an adversarial sort of nature to it, or there's things at odds with one another, and there's there's this close, you know, but it didn't seem like I don't know. It, it it felt like, and and this might just be that in general, emotions in Star Wars are fucking wild. Like people can't have like a thirty five percent reaction to something. Everything's a hundred percent reaction to something all the time. Yep. Um, now you came at this from an artistic perspective, which again, you have the better artistic perspective. You actually know what you're talking about when it comes to uh, drama and acting. I'm going to come at it from the perspective I specialize in, which is a horny perspective, and okay. that is. Um, the, se- the prequels, I can definitely accuse of this, and the sequels, despite being a market improvement over the prequels, um, what uh, they are completely... I don't know. Okay. Two out of three. Trilo- that's sequel. To, to quote Meatloaf, two out of three ain't bad. Um, okay. But um, completely sexless. And I do not mean in terms of... Like, I mean, there's no sexual chemistry between them. And I, I know that, like the originals are not super sexy or anything but like come on harrison ford could get mm-hmm. it uh, i mean oh absolutely i remember you know young budding bisexual and i often talk about what was my bisexual closet key i often accuse dante's peak of this a lot but um you have, you've mentioned this i think on previous episodes so I've, many I've times been on or listened to yeah uh, good to know you listen a lot of people only listen to the episodes they do um <laughs> but Don- dante's um, peak show there we go Holy fuck. Um, there we go. There we go. But um, you've got, like, you've got Princess Leia. Everyone had a crush on Princess Leia. Even the straight girls had a crush on Princess Leia. But then I also had, like, my two favorite archetypes of guys, which is, like, dopey farm boys. I love dopey farm boys. And 
rugged Han Solo types. Um, and like, <laughs> I mean, even the sexual tension between people who turned out to be siblings. Um, but these people, I mean, you could, I, I know the lore is that there was quite a, a bit of boinging going on uh, behind <laughs> the scenes. Good for Carrie them. Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford were, were at it like jackrabbits. I do not have an alcoholic drink in my hand, but good for her. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, you can just, it's, it's a very sexy, like, I mean, the whole movie is not sexy or the whole trilogy is not sexy, but there is a sense of sexual autonomy and stuff. And I don't know, I don't even want to just accuse it of being a Disney thing or whatever, but it does feel extremely watered down. It feels, um, just dorky. And, um, you know, he said there's no transition from adversarial to kind of ally and, I think you're right. You do have to have, you have to either then be able to write it pretty sexy or at the very least just throw in something that brings like them finding common ground in something or them having a little moment together. And especially because, you know, some people felt that that relationship kind of um, was a little Stockholm syndrome or whatever. Um, you have to be very delicate in how you write that. And so... I think it was a bit of a writing fumble. Um, is it as big of a writing fumble as accidentally writing siblings in love? No, um, but yeah. I mean that's that's a function of uh, a lot of the Star Wars story is dumb as hell. Yes, um, uh, and and a weird thing, you know, like it, like I think the the Luke and Leia uh, uh, situation was. Boy, uh, did Luke, did George Lucas, was was he high on his own supply after being like, everyone loved, everyone loved when it turned out that Vader was Luke's father. You know what would be cool, guys, <laughs> if Leia was his sister? Because if you listen to stories from the prequels, George Lucas literally did do story structure around things like that, where he he would have an idea and then he was too big to fail. And people were like, sure, George. You do whatever you say, whatever you say, man. So I do wonder, I do wonder if part of that's there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as well, and you have, and, and, and um, one thing that, again, the original trilogy is great on is if you remember when Han and Luke rescue Leia, she's like finger snaps on them right away. She's, she's just like, you're a little short to be a stormtrooper, And like, <laughs> and, and like, oh, you're a scruffy looking nerf herder. I know that's actually in, in, in uh, empire, but yes. like, she was always quick to give these little barbs that were, I mean, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the um, filmic equivalent of pulling, of, of pulling pigtails. It was actually a way of showing attraction and showing sort of things like that. But you're right. The prequels are famously chased. Mm-hmm. Um, Everything about his chase. First of all, Anakin is of no man born. Are you uh, an angel? It, oh god. Um, but uh, but Anakin has no father, so he's he's divinely born. If you go and read some of the Star Wars extended universe crap, apparently uh, Emperor Palpatine created the baby inside of Shmi Skywalker mm-hmm. uh, out of the midichlorians, um, and which means. Oh, that has that has other weird connotations to it, but it's it's dumb. Um, We're going to talk about midichlorians in a bit, but go oh, on. Oh, good. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Um, but and then also you look at you look at the courtship of Princess Amidala, or I guess Senator Amidala by this point in time. Uh, in in the Clone Wars is very very boring and chaste. You look at even the birth scene. If you look at the birth scene at the end of Revenge of the Sith, she is in 
that little like hospital that 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 uh, that she's in at the end, her legs could not get further. Like she could open only open her legs about a foot, mm-hmm. and that's not how babies get born. Like she's in a cone. She's her legs are in a cone that are keeping her that are keeping her her feet no more than like sixteen inches apart. No way that you could have two babies coming out in those circumstances. I don't care. You can tell me any future technology. That's not how babies are born, especially if it's natural, which it's implied it is in this weird cone. So it's not even making it so like so like anything that could be even sexual in any capacity because or not even sexual, but like related to sexual sex and sexuality in any way has been blunted and and neutered and and you know uh uh it's it's almost the courtship of princess amadala in the second movie is almost you know uh uh, when the in the the old 30s and 40s movies when the 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 leads would kiss and then it would pan over to the to the fireplace to let you know they were banging you can't see it but they were but it was so old-fashioned really the the sexiest that Star Wars ever was was Return of the Jedi with Leia, and that was sort of exploitative, sort of male gazy. I say sort of; it was a hundred percent male gazy. It was also Brie gazy, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, male and female gazy. Uh, we're gazing anyway. I, I will um, say that if you are past, I mean, we're we're around the same age. We're thirty three and thirty six respectively. So if you are around our age and you still have a thing about Princess Leia's slave outfit, that might be a bit of a red flag for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's. Uh, it, it it did its trick, but as we grow, I mean, all media all media has has problems with aging. That's just the reality of things. That's, that's not yep. that one. I you know, uh, but it's also the thing is though is that it's in some ways not gratuitous because yeah, Jabba's a drugs like a drug running uh, slave lord. You know the the huts are 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 crime. They're a crime family, and he has absolute power. Yeah, I kind of get that he'd have he he would like taking a princess from another world and turning her into his slave like that. You can kind of see why that would be the case. It's uh, narratively, but that also might be me doing a bit too much problematic work for, for a 40 year old choice. We've all carried a lot of water for star Wars in our life. That's just, that's just it. Um, Absolutely. You know, I, I was talking in the last episode about how much I think more than anything, Jabba the Hutt terrified me as a kid. And I'm realizing as an adult, what he is now in terms of presence he is a fat Javier Bardem. Oh. Every, you know, like the, Javier Bardem will just scare the hell out of you and everything, uh, everything you do, everything you watch. Um, I was rewatching Collateral the other night because I found out Jared, oh, had, Jared had never seen it. And then he about half an hour and he goes, you know, this kind of reminds me of Heat. I'm like, you know, this is a Michael Mann movie, right? Mann film. <laughs> like, no. He had no well, idea. There's something, about, there's, there's something about Tom Cruise's hairstyle and look and the suit and just how stern-faced oh that's a good movie yeah Um, but then javier bardem like as especially and and unlike you know his most famously terrifying role in no country the way he is sitting in that club he you do not even see his character standing up he's just sitting in a booth the whole time and he is looking even bigger than he is with his suit the way he is sitting i mean the fact that it's 2004 or whatever so everyone's wearing baggy suits um Mm -hmm. it's job of the huddish it really is Yeah. yeah There's, and in fact, you could actually make, uh, again, something you could do. No one's going to, mm-hmm. but but Disney, I, uh, this is, here's a free idea. You could tell a story. It could even be a short thing. You could do a what if version of just different tales across the galaxy. 
of showing the Hutt crime family and what they are like. And you could have Javier Bardem as either Jabba himself or actually technically themselves. Hutts are semi-hemaphroditic and can kind of like change genders. Um, so that's a cool, dumb thing that I know. So damn cool. Um, yep. So like Jabba the Hutt has like given birth, I think, but is currently in a male or currently they're dead. But yeah. Um, for but had gone back to being male. Like there's all sorts of cool stuff like that. The 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 hut hut peoples are are interesting. Um but you could explore that. You could explore that. You could do you could do Sopranos of 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 the Star Wars universe if you wanted to. Smoke this smoke. Yeah, I like that. I love that idea. And Disney, I know you were listening, so um mm-hmm. I would say send send the checks to Mike. Um so before I talk about Midichlorians, though, I do want to talk about Star Wars and Dichotomy. Because and mm-hmm. and I maybe I am the first to admit when I can get a little carried away. And I think that I got a little carried away in the last episode about like making fun of people who insist Star Wars is a Western, Star Wars is a Western. Um, I still think it is a little pedantic to insist genre wise that it is a Western. However, I will at least give credit to one thing, which is I can't um, because I used to be actually really into spaghetti Westerns. um, Mm -hmm. And I will say westerns are one of the other genres that most often um, comes down to themes of moral ambiguity, uh, good versus evil, and um, explorations of that gray space. And like so much, so much of the time in westerns, you especially spaghetti westerns, you are not rooting for good over evil. You are rooting for different gray types of evil and stuff. And so, I think at least. There's a jumping off point for a conversation there about Star Wars, because from the beginning, the most consistent theme in Star Wars has been about light versus dark, good versus Mm -hmm. evil, and exploring that ambiguous space between the two. And I think that's what the prequels largely tried to do was to kind of show how a how light becomes dark. Um, Actually, that does make me think of uh, Return of the Jedi, and I did believe it's the first scene in which you see Luke in Return of the Jedi, and he's all of a sudden in his emo era. <laughs> and it's just because, yeah, I love it's a little Spider Man three. It's very uh, Spider Man three. Uh. Um, but yeah, so um, I do think that one of the weaker aspects of the sequel trilogy is that you kind of abandon that altogether. Because one of the things I find a little irritating about the sequel trilogy is it's you have a lot of people who are just good guys and it's very i I don't know it does kind of i try not to be one of those people who dives too much into the moral panics you see on twitter and stuff but these things where people do not want to see a bad character ever and Mm -hmm. you, you want your good guys to be so damn good and i think that's one of the weaker aspects of even the stronger films in the sequel trilogy is um a lack of moral ambiguity particularly among your good guys all the bad guys are morally ambiguous are morally ambiguous because they got to have like slightly good redeeming sides and stuff but your good guys are only good um so then the sequel trilogy or the prequel trilogy i will say at least it's it's not as well executed but you do keep up with that theme of light and dark light to dark um but then there's also, I feel like that runs parallel with the dichotomy of science versus spirituality. I won't even say science versus religion, um, even though that's kind of what it really is, but science versus spirituality, um, because one is seen as open and fluid and changing and open to interpretive ideas, and the other is seen as rigid and um, prescriptive. 
And a lot of people don't like when Star Wars gets overly prescriptive. So when midichlorians come into the picture and we are given this very hard scientific explanation for the Force. Um, I was too young to have an opinion on it at the time. And then when I kind of looked back at it in, say, high school, I'm like, that fucking sucks. Like, it's it seems almost anti-imagination to me. Um, and the thing that is most maddening about it is that you could tell Lucas thought he was doing something really cool. Yeah, and it's I, heartbreaking a little bit. Midichlorians is really dumb because it's a bit of a betrayal of what we accepted from the premise. Because here's the thing. Audiences can be both dumb and smart. Mm -hmm. um, the ones that keep on watching Star Wars stuff today are dumb. But <laughs> the ones back then were smart, which is we're like, all right, fine, man. There's space wizards. Uh, okay, cool. There's an empire. Some of you have. And, and, and even in, in, even in um, uh, uh, episode four, mm -hmm. um, you have. You have, oh, Vader, your wacky religion couldn't couldn't teach you about, couldn't tell you whether the plans would get stolen or they haven't divined anything like that. And like, so the people are already talking about how the force is a religion. Mm -hmm. If I went to, so I grew up Catholic, but if I went to church and then one day the priest was like, so here are the units of Holy Spirit that are in devout people versus lapsed people versus sinners like yeah you've got you've got 13 uh, mega pews or whatever in your in your bloodstream right now because you did the right hail marys you'd be like what the hell are you talking about don't try to put don't try to put your science like this is not a peanut butter and chocolate thing here um and so this is where this actually allows me to to uh make uh, uh my own sort of uh pitch here which is Star Wars was not sci-fi. It was no. fantasy. Yep. It was it was fantasy because again, you had wizards. Um you can have wizards with blaster rifles. You can have wizards with staffs. They're wizards though. They exist. It's cool. Um but you know, Star Trek was so uniquely scientific in that and 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 codified in like you know, the prime directive and 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 you know, here's how warp works and here's how particle whatever and, and and the transporter works and all of this you kind of could just be like yeah but dude somebody could move their hand and <laughs> your ship's gonna go off alignment or your windpipe's gonna get crushed yeah and they can do it from across the galaxy they can do it on a vid screen vader he can choke you he doesn't need to be right next to you he doesn't need to be within 20 feet of you he's got magic yeah that's and that's fine and i i think that's a completely acceptable um uh, thing to do. Uh, another thing, and this goes into some of the 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 moral good or the or or, or whatever. The, there's a reason I think why Han Solo is the best character of Star Wars. It's probably because you had the handsomest, best actor, but uh, 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 in, in the coolest outfit and with the coolest partner and with the coolest vehicle, um, he just kicks ass top to bottom, right? Oh yeah. But what's really great about him is that he's like, look, I've been all around the galaxy. I don't have a religious bone in my body. I believe having a blaster in a pinch is better than, you know, your space, your space magic. He's not a moral, like he has a moral code of his own, but he's a smuggler. He's a, he is shades of gray. And he actually goes against what the rest of the series really is of, I am good. You are bad. We mm -hmm. must do battle. There can only be one, um, you know, for good to flourish, bad must go away. Whereas Han Solo's, 
totally willing to, you know, weasel his way through and play the good guy and play the sacrificial lamb and play the rogue when he needs to, um, which is way better. And, and um, so I just feel that you can have, you can have, if there were more characters like that in the future films, you know, or in the, in the, in the, in the sequels, it would work better um, because everything wouldn't be so, I am black, you are white. If you had more people of gray along the way, and, and even anybody, like you made this point about how even the even the, the villains in the sequel trilogy are all like they all have a hidden heart of gold. Like you know, you have um, Domhnall Gleeson was the, the spy the whole time in the First Order, and um, you know, uh, I mean, even Finn goes across, he sees the horrors of what he's he's inflicted and, and switches sides, and 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 obviously you've got Kylo Ren coming over uh, uh uh and 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 you know wanting to defeat the emperor mm-hmm. um who again if the extended universe is to be believed is technically like his great grandfather or something like that um which is a weird thing to consider but there you go because of the uh uh, uh the, the mystical bloodline of the skywalker family um but no it it you're right that they that they strayed away from what the like the Western archetypes. Although I'd also say it's actually um, samurai movies as well. Mm-hmm. Samurai and Western movies play off each other a lot. I haven't seen um, that many samurai movies uh, in my life, so I will trust you on that. Yeah, I, I, I mean a big part of uh, uh, a big part of why they're using swords and why Darth Vader's outfit looks the way it does and all of that is uh, referential of course, to yeah. like Kurosawa stuff and. Um, uh, basically, George Lucas, his his original conception of Star Wars was samurai films meets Flash Gordon, and they, he couldn't get the licensing for Flash Gordon, so he was like, "I'll just make a new space religion movie, and yeah. and it'll be about it'll be about uh, gunfighters and you know sort of Ronin type characters, and it's it's that's basically where it comes from. But it, but again, the genre of western and samurai film, they all borrow like like they you know uh, 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 Kurosawa was watching John Ford films, and then uh yeah whoever was making you know the good the bad and the ugly um that was leon de laurentis i thought the good the bad and the ugly was leon oh yes yes yeah. but it was it was the production company was, oh was, uh, sorry yeah um oh no no but i'm i just i i i, I misplaced the record but i had the the anyway yeah but they were like oh wow so we can actually base our gunslinger off of this fallen samurai and like that's that's a cool so like there's it's this kind of Uros Boros thing that that made it, but I would argue, due to the whole sword thing, mm-hmm. um, that it's more samurai than western. But but that's my that's my extremely niche nerdy take. Yeah, and I, for what it's worth, I don't think it's nerdy or pedantic to see that in Star Wars. It's more that, um, as someone who extensively studied literature, I think what I always say is. Like when you say Star Wars is a Western or Star Wars is a samurai movie, what you really mean is that there are artistic elements that are from it. But when it comes to genres, we also have to think about um, what they're trying to communicate, how they're trying to communicate it, the path it takes. And in that case, you're correct. It is a fantasy movie. It is a fantasy adventure. Um, But uh, 
Um, sorry, I can't stop thinking about giving birth in a cone shape. And um, look at you can yeah. uh, listeners no. at home. <laughs> you know what that's making me think of is uh, the actor Lavelle Crawford, who plays Huel in uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, and what an mm-hmm. utterly pointy head he has. And I'm just like, maybe that's what happened. Maybe that's what happened. I mean, that's actually that actually is uh, a fun peek behind the curtain for those of you who haven't uh, uh, been a, uh, witnessing the birth of a child. In many standard, uh, you know, unassisted births, kids' head is really pointy because uh, the, the the opening, the aperture, is not exactly that large. I'm keeping it. I'm keeping it nice and neutral language here. thank goodness because as someone who has never witnessed a birth or given birth um it uh it makes me want to pass out i'm huh? sorry i'm sorry moms and parents of the world it just I, I cannot handle it you are stronger than me um unless of course you are shmi skywalker and you just you you conception by sparkles is what we'll call it um so yeah what now just cycling through my very organized notes, not at all. Um, so what's something nice we can say about the prequels? Because friend of the show meant uh, very uh, respectfully, they were like, you know what? I'm a prequel defender. And there are defenses of the prequels. Some of them I agree with, some of them I disagree with. I, I just, I I don't really like the kind of edgelordy, like the prequels were actually amazing or whatever. Um so I'm trying to find things that I like about the prequels. I do think the general consensus that episode two is the weakest is correct. Um, and I think episode three is by far the strongest. Um, one of the things with the amount of CG in the prequels, I have asked myself over and over and over, do I think it looks bad and flat because it has because CG has come so far these days and I am holding it to a higher standard? Um, and I'm trying to put myself back in, um, back in the mindset of nine-year-old me in the theater. And you know what? I think, I think a lot of the stuff on Naboo is pretty cool looking. Mm -hmm. Is it that well done? No, but like, I would say there is at least a greater sense of world building in there. And so that's a, that's a nice thing I can say about the prequels. Um, and I do think the acting gets much better after episode one uh, when you get that that fucking kid out. Um, yeah, Jake Lloyd. Jake Lloyd uh, obviously went through some stuff in his life post mm-hmm. uh, Phantom Menace that was almost certainly undeserved. Like he's gone on record being like, yeah, "I got made fun of so much," and that's you know uh, that's not really his fault. But uh, yeah, the, the the movie quality did improve it's sort of like uh, uh not that hayden christensen is the greatest actor of all time but um he does a he does portray uh vader or he plays and portrays anakin better than are you an angel and <laughs> that's what i call pod racing and all that stuff like uh-huh. that's that that I'm, I'm sorry jake lloyd but that role was not good and you might you might not have been i don't think anyone necessarily could have made it great that's a hard role never in my life did i expect that i would be sitting somewhere thinking i really wish i were watching jingle all the way um which might actually be a better role for him um but um and and i do think portman gets better here's the thing like i don't want to admit that natalie portman was bad in episode one but she was and she's a great actress she's she more than deserved that oscar she has and she was great in leon in her earlier movies as well but and, and someone had said that oh apparently you know lucas wanted them to be hammy and cheesy and like but why what purpose does that serve for me as a viewer 
so um there are stories that yes that is the case mm-hmm. um that that he wanted more of a stilted or you know again i, I said earlier about how nothing's ever at 35 percent, everything's at 100 mm-hmm. percent. um i think another issue is uh and this is something that is long known about the star wars universe in fact harrison ford himself has discussed this but that the writing the dialogue is terrible there is yes. a famous quote from is it empire where Harrison Ford looked at some of the lines and 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 said something to the effect of George you can write this shit but you can't say it you know like of of just saying that that he would he would put in uh uh, uh Lucas did a great job putting together a story he did a very poor job of having characters say the things that needed to be said to advance the story mm-hmm. so i think i think part of that is a yes a director's choice but or a creative person's choice and then the other part of it is you can get a better person to write lines if 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 you want to you can hire those people you're going to spend millions of dollars on cg you could do a better job of hiring like that's the thing that no one spends the money on which is so, so funny is that you'll spend tens of millions on a big actor and you'll spend hundreds of millions on cg but it's like man writers will do anything mm-hmm. for like like a really painfully low amount of money. That is, that is the area where you could maximize. Like if you're if you're looking at at um, sort of market efficiencies in blockbusters, mm. writing, and you don't have to give them any rights. You do them. I get nothing. You can. It's there. There are problems with how we uh, uh, pay and handle creative people. Um, especially ones who are behind the camera or behind the uh, uh, who you know who aren't who aren't on screen um but to get off that horse but we were we were actually trying to say nice things about the prequels um and i think some of the cg is is okay mm-hmm. um it, it you know uh, uh some of it holds up well enough i think the problem i think you are right in hitting the, the, the nail on the head of we've improved in the last 23 24 years um i think the other part of it was again so what time of day does most of the prequels take place in daylight daytime yep. that is bad for cg now but even worse back then part of why jurassic park does so well with having the the, the cg t-rexes and, and everything. now part of that is because they did a lot of work with animatronics and mm-hmm. and blending but a big part of it is when you see the t-rex it's a nighttime and b raining so CG has a natural shininess to it mm-hmm. that because it's set at nighttime, the T-Rex, that shine is taken away. And because it's raining in that scene, there is a uh, what's called a wet down, basically, which is where everything is damp so that, that it's okay if there's not shiny and things are obscured. So the CG from a movie that is almost 30 years old holds up better than a movie from that is 20 years old because of implementation of the tool. Uh, uh, among other things, so part of part of like especially especially Attack of the Clones, when when Amidala's like got her hands up and she's like got my hands up. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm making such a big all these gesticulations for a an audio format. But here we are. Oh, I've been doing. Um, I've been doing this for two years. It, it doesn't stop. <laughs> nah. but it looks. It all looks so fake because and and looks awful because it's bright and sunny and dry. And everything's right there. Whereas there are ways to mask and 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 sort of 
uh, obscure or obfuscate a little bit to make that a little bit better. Um, with that said, I, I, a lot of the starships look cool. Like the fighters, the Naboo fighter looked cool as hell. Uh, the chrome, you know, sort of the, like the, the, the chrome um, uh, pontoons uh, and, and the sleek yellow and all of that looking kind of looking like an old timey fighter, like an old timey like fighter jet. Um, you know, you've got uh, uh, some of the spaceships look really, really neat. Uh, Obi-Wan's looks great. Uh, the early version of, of uh, Django's or uh, Django Fett's ship of Slave One. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks really cool as well. I mean, even though that's mostly CG, um, like there's there's some really there's some really cool stuff there. So like, I I will say that it's it is hit and miss. Of course, the spaceships are taking place at during darkness. Yeah, because they're in space, so <laughs> that might be part of again why it, it it works a little bit better. Um, but I think you actually wanted to bring up. I think I think we can all agree the best part of the prequels that has n- no reproach to it at all. Oh. A uh, a certain actor. Oh yeah, so you know him, you love him. We know him, we motherfucking love him. Um, and I do love that. Uh, to to quote friends of the show, we hate movies. At a certain point, she's like, "Bye, movie!" Like, <laughs> um, kind of uh, is defenestrated out of the series. Um, Mace Windu. Um, I was now. Believe it or not, despite all the lore of me and Peak Show and watching TVs before I was old enough, I did not know who Samuel L. Jackson was when I was nine. Um, Mm -hmm. But I found Mace Windu very intriguing. Um, I also thought there was a kind of a sexiness about him (laughs) at nine. Uh, You know, this is just me sitting in my little capsicating theater like, hey, now. Um, And Mace Windu has a lot of very interesting backstory that if you have read those extended universe novels or if you've watched The Clone Wars... um, Mm -hmm. You can, he's a very fascinating character. I would say he's completely wasted. Uh, not completely no, wasted. Somewhat wasted. I mean, it. I guess one of the enduring cool things about Mace Windu is um, that's why we have multicolored lightsabers. Yep. Uh, originally, originally he, he was supposed to have, either, I think, a blue lightsaber and Samuel L. Jackson on set was like, no, he's gonna have a purple one. That's way cooler. Make it purple. And and he got what he got what he wanted because Samuel L. Jackson at the time would have been among the biggest names, if not the absolute biggest name involved in that movie from an acting perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, you were talking 1999. Yeah. Uh, for the for the first one, um, but it's cool because he's he is seen as this advisor he's seen as a wise person um you know sort of a no man's fool kind of thing but you are right zero tolerance yeah you are right though that he just gets you know lightninged out of nowhere Mm -hmm. um and and has a a pretty weak death all things considered Mm -hmm. but was a character fleshed out quite better in the clone wars and in some of the comics and and sort of supporting documentation that may or may not be canon anymore yeah and i also feel like you know i again i came down really hard on the prequels for casting but i actually do think that um sam jackson i can't think of anyone else that i would have cast when you consider that mace windu's personality is very like you know no very little tolerance and very little patience for um you know what he sees as wrong and um you know this very res- like this person who commands respect so yeah i think it was very well cast and you know i don't want to say like oh what 
wouldn't it be great if he got a series? Because like I I don't want more character focused series. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, he was. In retrospect, it would have been great to pull away from the Hayden Natalie soap opera a little bit for him, maybe. I mean, you could have had you could have had things where he takes a more direct role in teaching Anakin. You could have had him working more hand and glove, like because mm-hmm. he was he was sort of like the man in the van for the events of the prequel trilogy. In that he like you had you had your actual people who were acting and doing things mm-hmm. on on site, and that would be uh, Qui Gon and Obi Wan and Anakin are actually going and doing things. But like he'd be back home at the at the council. If he stepped up more, and obviously he steps up at the end of Attack of the Clones, uh, when there's that awful scene of them fighting uh, uh, the the troopers on planet whatever, um, you know, like there's there's you could have used them, you could have used them more because one of the great things about his characterization is that he comes off as a very wise person. Yes, he comes off as a very serious person and somebody who has, you know firmly held beliefs that I that that you would think he'd want to execute on and so that you could see him in the field as well. I would have liked that. That's 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 my personal feeling is that I would have loved to see him actually kicking a little bit more ass. Mm-hmm. Um but I guess Jedi Masters are sort of beyond that. They're like, oh yeah, we've sort of ascended past that point and are now more we're so at one with the force we we don't take part as actively or whatever. And it's yeah. like, All right. he does play a relatively active role though within the canon. Um you know, and he's he's kind of directly responsible for why uh, Jedi have been branded as traitors and everything. Um, and I get that, you know, may not that I think that much thought went into it, but maybe, you know, having him be more involved in the training or whatever. Um, I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to say this, but it does become a bit of a magical Negro. Um, it, it could become that, um, especially when you consider how poorly he is developed in the prequels Mm. that you know his sole purpose is not to train someone so i guess i'm okay with that but yeah it's it's also just that frankly sam jackson is a magnetic on-screen presence and so if the more active role we can see him playing the better yeah Yeah. i I mean again every movie is made better every movie is made better with samuel L. jackson deep blue sea wouldn't be as good pulp fiction wouldn't be as good those are the movies he's most known for deep blue sea and pulp fiction (laughs) um uh (laughs) no but uh yeah I don't know if there would be the risk. I actually, for all of the faults, and I did bring this up earlier with the Trade Federation and, and Jar Jar Binks, Ugh. I don't necessarily think that George Lucas was trying to make... I mean, I guess, yeah, if you do have a, a, a black man who is a wizard, you are perilously close to, to you know, uh, uh, the Magic Negro trope. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I don't I don't know if that... I, I, I don't know. I think he could have been kicking ass and it, and it could have been, you know... Pulp Fiction in Space. Hey, there you go, Disney. There's a free idea. Pulp Fiction in Space. There you go. There you go. Tell tell a new story. It's not even new. It's a 30-year-old property, but we've never seen that. I would love that. All right, um, Mike, I have two more completely unimportant questions, but I'm really looking forward to the answers of both. Um, sure. Number one, um, do you call it an AT-AT or an AT-AT? AT-AT. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Uh, Jared and I call them adats, and it's increasingly feeling like I'm the only one, or we're the only ones. Um, yeah, I just, 
I saw it. I saw the box uh, that my brother had because he was a big save the boxes kid. Mm-hmm. And I just called it an AT-AT my whole life. So my um, my whole reason for calling it an AT-AT and not an AT-AT is the little chicken leg ones, the, the, the ones with only two legs, mm-hmm. are AT-STs. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why I'd call one an AT-AT and one an AT-ST. I, I should be calling it an, an, yeah, an AT-ST. Would be would be what you would call it, but I would never do that because I I care I care very deeply. This is like my insistence that it's Jif. Um, okay, so that that does bring me into my actual what I think is a very interesting question, which was what were some of your or maybe what was your number one most favorite Star Wars toy growing up? And I'll say I ask this because people talk about like oh when did Star Wars get so cynical or they talk about you know oh like action media now is all just an excuse to sell toys. And like, while I never worked directly for this magazine, the company that I used to work for, we had a kids media magazine and licensing of kids toys has been a thing forever. Licensing uh, or like when, um, when a kid's property debuts or a family, like the first thing that gets inked is a licensing deal. Um, This is not, this is not new, you know, like, and well, and this so, is the yeah. big reason. This is the big reason why George Lucas is so rich. Yeah, is that he got points on the back end. He 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 took a very low salary, but basically, but basically took points on the back end, and then also got uh, uh, merchandising rights in perpetuity. And just oh wow, you have how many spaceships? How many characters? Mm-hmm. Oh, and they're gonna wear different outfits in different movies. Uh huh. Oh, and there's gonna be more spaceships. Mm-hmm really oh okay and you can do you can do uh, books posters hats shirts okay and and every kid in the world is going to want every kid in the world is going to want something called a wookie mm-hmm. okay yeah and he has the money so like yes licensing rights are are hugely important and yeah. and star wars enduring there's probably more Star Wars toys in landfills than any other than any other product. Yeah, and the reissuing of the movies. It, I mean, we didn't even talk about the 1997 special editions. I don't know if you had that uh, three pack of VHSs with Vader's. Mm-hmm. Oh, loved that. That was. I know we had them on VHS separately before that, but that was when my brother and I like really went through them together. But that was also when all of a sudden I walked down the toy toy aisles at my Walmart and it was full of Star Wars toys again. So. I didn't own that many myself. I always had to steal my brother's because he was the big toy collector in the family. Um, but I got to ask, what were some of your faves that you had as a kid? So my biggest, my biggest thing would have been Lego. Yeah. Um, and this is this is a big deal. Um, this is, I, I mean, Lego used to be for for all of the young people in the audience. Lego used to be, oh yeah, here's a spaceship or here's a here's a, a medieval castle or here's pirates. They were big on pirates. They were big on like French and British col- like colonial in the islands, you know, play sets. But it, they licensed, I believe in 1999, uh, they, they got the rights to do Star Wars. Um, they did X-Wings, A-Wings, B-Wings, Y-Wings, TIE Advanced, TIE Fighter, TIE Bomber, um, I think Lambda class shuttles, uh, which of course you know every all of what I'm talking about, Brie. Um, but those would have been, the Lego would have been some of my favorite, would have been some of my favorite stuff to, to play with because I, I always loved Lego. My, my parents 
never minded me playing with Lego. They thought I was going to be an architect or an engineer, and boy, did I let them down. <laughs> um, but for for various reasons, including that one. But they they were always like, yeah, no, if you like if you like Lego, go you know fill your boots, have fun. Um, so I had I had definitely the Lego X wing, uh, Y wing, uh, A wing. I think also the B wing. Uh, so I like that. I also did have just like a uh, like a I think a Mattel X wing that had you know the you could pop out the the uh, the, the wings, um, the S foils. Mm-hmm. I think you can fact check me back home, listeners, if you're huge Star Trek uh, Star Wars fans uh, that they're S foils. Um, but uh, uh, so I had I had that, um, but it would definitely would have been the Lego, and then. Um, I don't know if you qualify this as a toy. The video games, mm-hmm. uh, they got into video games in the nine. 90- I mean, there were video games back in like was, the eighties. Yeah, as well. wasn't there a? Oh no, never mind. I'm thinking of the ET video game. I was going to say there was a Nintendo game that was like sent to landfills, but I'm sure it's the now that it's the ET video game. Well, there was one that was not dissimilar, where you're like cruising around in a speeder and you would encounter things. It yeah. was not. It was not great, um, but. In the 90s, they had the video games um, Dark Forces, which uh, was a first-person shooter like Doom, mm-hmm. um, but you you used blaster pistols, and then you used the carbine, and then you used the different all the different Star Wars weapons. Um, there were uh, there was uh, um, Shadows of the Empire with Kyle Katarn as the as the main character, which was sort of this first and third person. You would pilot things. You would you would physically like be on the battle of hoth the incredibly successful and prolific rogue squadron series of video games which i loved 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 uh rogue leader which was rogue squadron 2 on gamecube i probably played i don't know like a hundred plus hours of that uh um you know so i mean like they've had those would have been my those would have been the toys if you if you count video games as toys which sure i guess yeah entertainment some people were toy kids some kids were video game kids like um we were my brother was both because he was not a friend kid um so Mm. um because yeah i didn't have many of my own there were a few kind of lying around my kindergarten room i definitely i do not know what generation it was but i remember like just being fascinated with a chewbacca uh that like it was from the generation of toys where you couldn't move his legs separately his moves his legs moved as one unit um points of articulation yeah my cousin mike had in his uh in his room um which for the longest time i was afraid to go in my cousin mike's bedroom because he had a poster of uh freddy krueger and that scared the hell out of me when i was like three or four um but he had all sorts of like what i thought were the coolest action figures and stuff and he had jawas which I loved oh, yeah. I loved playing with the Jawas, um, especially be- I thought it was so cool because then my my cousin Mike was born in the late seventies or early eighties, so he had a lot of original generation toys, and um, but I liked the Jawas because they were plastic, but they had the burlap um, for their uh, little robes, um, and he also had what I now realize might have been a testament to how cheap my uncle Ray was. God rest his soul, um, he was a very cheap man, and so. What I later realized was that my cousins had a lot of like off-brand stuff. And uh, what he had was he had, uh, is it R5-D4? Um, is that is that the name of, yeah, R5-D4. 
Um, that's the uh, the one that gets that malfunctions so that R two can get taken. Yes, I think. Yep. Um, yeah. He's he's got his orange little decals, and um, I remember looking at that and it's like, oh, he just got like a broken R two D two because that's what I thought it was when I was like five or whatever. Um, but as it turns out. Either my cousin Mike was such a big Star Wars fan, or what I'm really thinking is this was my Uncle Ray just, like, in very ghosty a Star Wars fashion, just like, yeah, I got your R2-D2, your favorite, you know? Like, because where do you even find that? Like, he is such a brief appearance character, and I'm looking it up, and R5-D4 was last manufactured as a toy in 1978. Hmm. So, wow. Yeah. He's uh, and credited as Star Wars biggest loser. So there we go. All right. So now, Mike, I had a total panic last night because I thought, how can I do this lightning round? Because I've already asked the lightning round questions to Eric, and I don't want to just ask you the same questions over. So I have devised what I think is a bit of an off-brand lightning round, but it's going to be fun because you and I are very creative people. And so... um, and. (laughs) I totally, um, I started doing this in the middle of the night last night. I don't know why. I ate a lot of tacos yesterday and then um, woke up in the middle of the night and started writing ideas and then woke up in the actual morning and wondered, why did I write this in my phone? Um, So I have before me a list of 10 actors, you know, mostly either character actors or weird little guys um, and a few more leading type actors. But there are a lot of actors who somehow still have not been in a Star Wars property. So I'm going to give you uh, some actors and I want to tell I want you to tell me what kind of role you would see for them in Star Wars, sure. whether it's a specific thing or whether this person might be a good lead or maybe they'd be a good little gleep glop. Uh so sure. here we go. All right, David Cross. David Cross would be a is it is it Dexter Jetzer is the uh, the owner of the diner, the weird 50s-style diner in uh, Attack of the Clones? I could see him having a rival restaurant across the street <laughs> in Coruscant and and being like, being like, Jedi's are going there? What? What are we not doing to get the Jedi's in here? Like you could have a you could have a really you could have a really, really good antagonistic mm-hmm. relationship. That. between the owners of different space delis on Coruscant um, and why Obi-Wan doesn't go to David Cross's restaurant. He could be any type of alien. You could also, yeah. it could just be David Cross. He could have a beard. Yeah, the, that's the cool thing. It is Dex's Diner is, I believe, the name of the uh, of the locale. I would love that. More of those little petty stories. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, this one I'm excited because apparently he was considered for the, ray of, the, for the role of Finn. I would have personally loved that. We all know I love this actor. Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons is such a honky. Like, <laughs> like he really is. He's so and don't know, great actor. You know, uh, married well. God, um, yeah. You know, uh, they're uh, my I favorite think, couple. Probably, I think he's probably pretty happy. I, you know, but he's like so. He should probably be an incompetent uh uh imperial general or like there's is it is it general veers is that the one that gets uh 
choked out in in Empire or no is that the one that takes over is it's Admiral Piat Piat um, I think this is the one that gets choked out across space by by Vader for screwing yeah. up the Hoth or screwing up the, the the recon mission. I could see Plemons getting something like that mm-hmm. in a in a bit role if you or or you make him or you go the opposite direction and make him an ultra 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 competent villain because mm-hmm. he can do both. He can he can play dumb or he can play uh, uh, Machiavellian. Yeah, I was um, I would lean more toward that because I find him just chilling. Um, particularly in like, I know we all think of Breaking Bad or whatever, but, um, I'm thinking of ending things, I think is such a good, yeah. like, and he's, cause he's not, a, he's not a villain in that movie, but he does have something very unsettlingly menacing about him mm-hmm. and his, his face even. And you know, I gotta say, I gotta respect an actor who got chubby for a role and then stayed chubby. I think he is more interesting chubby. And it really shows that his face is not just discount Matt Damon. He's ha- has a real like nothing behind the eyes kind of look about him. And yeah. yeah, which is why which is why he could make a great villain. Like there's there's a character in that is coming around and I think has been referenced obliquely in The Mandalorian. But there's there's this really great character named Grand Admiral Thrawn mm-hmm. from the books and from a few different things who I think that that uh, Plemons could play him. Um, uh, I, I think that would work. Thrawn, I think, is actually technically sort of suave and, and attractive. Yeah, but, he I mean, is kind of a Jack show, but does he need to be? Does he need to be? Also, he's a blue alien guy, right? He could be anything. He right? has a vaguely like Armenian look to him, I find. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Um. So, uh, speaking of people who can play, uh, who because who has successfully played an Armenian American despite not being Armenian. Tilda Swinton. Um, Tilda Swinton's got to play an alien. She's got to be <laughs> just a weird and like they'd obviously exaggerate her features, which she'd have to consent to. Yes, but they would exaggerate her existing features, and I could see sort of like um, you know Lupita Nyong'o's character of Maz Katana in in the sequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. I could see something like that. Of that she's kind of like an oddball look, but offers wonderful advice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, uh, or you could no, you don't know. No, I think that's it. I don't. I I have I have another idea, but maybe I want to hold on to it because it might. Depending on, there's still a few other actors left, so I might I might want to. Yeah. You know, think of something. I will say that I love Tilda Swinton in Suspiria, and so I would just like to see her repeat something like that. But um, okay, mm-hmm. uh, and again, I. F- I did just watch Collateral the other night, so um, and I'm I feel like I'm guy who has only seen Boss Baby getting really Boss Baby vibes mm-hmm. from this. Um, Jamie Fox. Okay, so Jamie Fox, I kind of feel villain because I think he does villains well. Um, does he? I okay. Uh, I love Jamie Foxx. I think he's a great actor. He earned that Oscar. Um, I think of all the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man uh, sins, I think he was actually one of the worst parts of that second movie. Well, and they make they actually make the joke in No Way Home, like they get rid of they. I mean, that one was. Uh, uh, I feel like that set the discourse on on racial justice back the way they they made his like uh electro character so uh 
with the fake teeth and yeah. all that there there was some there were some real problems there were some real problems with the, with that characterization mm-hmm. um i could see so if you weren't going to use um i feel like if you wanted to do something really really sort of fun and and creepy is you could deal with the story of all of the clones Mm-hmm. that survived the clone wars because like you've got a million more than a million people who are going to age quickly who are all soldiers mm-hmm. so you've got this like sort of blade runner-esque sort of uh, uh uh life cycle where they age rapidly and and are and you know jamie fox would probably be close to 50 by now and you could age him up you could young him up you could young him down with some cg or with some prosthetics and and all of that but i think he could do something where if you were looking at some of the stories of the clones if you're not using tamora morrison you could you could do a cool story of like several different clones facing their impending mortality set in the backdrop of this empire taking over the galaxy mm-hmm. you could do some cool stuff with that and i think he could i think he could lead and be playing five or six roles of himself <laughs> um in in something like that i yeah. think you could have a lot of fun with clones awesome again free idea there you go disney you're welcome <laughs> all right so uh on the topic of child actors who had kind of a rough go uh someone who's kind of at a bit of a mini renaissance right now Haley joel osmond uh okay so we're gonna make a tv series and it's gonna be called the uh the chronicles of jack porkins um if you remember from uh from the original star wars jack porkins is the pilot that's part of red squadron who has the malfunction in his ship yes and gets shot and has he's got the he plays he also plays uh oh god who is he he's in the batman 89 he's in batman 89 as um the crooked cop mm-hmm. um but you could just get Haley joel with the big beard and he's also heavier set now he could he could, mm-hmm. he could embody the role i just want to find out about about tell me everything about jack porkins mm-hmm. yeah what before the most important day of his life when he dies attacking the death star that's that's what i want there's actually a great um a uh, great little um uh, still of Porkins and uh, Darklighter um, in in one Diggs. of the comics, and he totally looks like he kind of looks like current uh, current day Haley, Haley Joel Osment, yeah. you know. Um, stunt casting right there. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I think he again, like I love when when certain actors gain weight or go through a physical transformation, they become so much more charactery because it's like, yeah, maybe you were never going to be a leading man. Also, my favorite my my favorite trivia about his breakthrough role in The Sixth Sense was they originally considered Michael Sarah for that role. Like, oh my god! I, like, I would watch. I would watch <laughs> no other movie ever. Eight year old Michael Sarah. Oh my god! Uh, oh Disney, make that movie. Okay. There's there's your million dollar idea. Said, can, can, can I tell you a secret? Like, <laughs> uh, okay, um, Olivia Coleman. Ooh. Um, boy, I mean, that would have been someone who could have been a, I mean, this is good. She could be a queen. Um, she has a hey, very you know queenly cool? presence about her. But you know what else she could do a great job of? And I don't think we see her in, why not make her an imperial or, I hate using the phrase first order. 
<laughs> make her a villain, but make her like she's the wild tactician, the shrewd cutthroat, and like she's responsible for blowing up like a hundred rebel ships. She single-handedly used her ingenious plan to use a tractor beam or whatever and like shifted a moon off its course and it went and hit a planet and messed uh, and like all all like she could be just chilling yeah and in that uniform in those in those really you know those those gray or black space you know with the with the little chiclets the multicolored chiclets on their on their lapels yeah. and on their chest now i could i she'd be oh that's a great oh she'd be fun yeah um i loved her in the lost daughter and that is a bit more of a like morally ambiguous role and not a likable role but i don't know if i've ever seen her be a full-fledged magnificent bastard type villain that would be really cool yeah. um she to me will always be so from um peep show not to be confused with peak yeah. show um but uh, i love this kind of moment she's having right now career-wise okay this is fun javi Feierstein. oh Okay, so there's a third restaurant on Coruscant <laughs> next to Dexter Jetzer's. And it's the and Jewish next to deli. David Cross. <laughs> I mean, well, David Cross would probably also have anyway. Yeah. Uh, uh, Harvey Firestein, but like yeah, no, we're just we're we're building out we are building out the restaurant cinematic universe. <laughs> um, damn. Oh man, I really wasted the David Cross one. Ah, I, I if I had known. You know what David Cross would also because what David Cross is good at playing is annoying. And so mm-hmm. he would make a good like um bad customer or something at yeah. at Dex's Dally. Nice. Um so okay. Harvey Firestein, this could be and is this too much of of reprising a role like Mrs. Doubtfire? Could you have the element of of being of like he's the guy that makes the really fash outfits for the Imperials? Well, and th- those roles Se- do exist. The kind of the like Sith. I'm I'm just following orders. Oh, that's well, Hugh, yeah. Hugo Boss. Very um, much. Is it problematic to make it a Jewish actor? Um, who knows? It could also be considered, um, you know, adding to the moral ambiguity of it. Um, so, okay, this one is probably one of the more prestige ones. Michael McKeon. Ooh, okay. Um, I feel like you go down like a Jedi route with him, right? Um, like, he has he has Jedi Master looks to me, right? Yeah, there. That's that's that is a maybe uh, small role, but like the you know that classic trope, one of my favorite tropes in all of fiction of like the one guy who like sacrifices himself so the rest of the group can get away. Mm-hmm. Maybe doing that with some of the younglings or the Padawans and like you have this great story and it's and it's him. Yeah. And 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 how he kills a thousand troopers before getting lasered down or something like that. That'd be cool. Awesome. Um done with the gravitas. <laughs> All right. Now uh this one uh was one that I definitely just kind of pulled out of my ass. Jennifer Coolidge. alien because of her just because of the 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 features right like absolutely yeah like she's had she's had it's fair to say that she's probably had a fair amount of work 
done I since her Stifler's mom days? Any Anyone in Hollywood has had work done, I would say. But That's the fact true. that she doesn't look much older since Stifler's mom, her Stifler's mom days. And, and that was 23 years like ago. 25 years ago. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, okay. So, uh, okay. Tatooine, you know, the, the home planet of, of, of Luke Skywalker, the, mm-hmm. the, the prince of the universe. There is a brothel at Moss Eisley Cantina. She is the madam. She is an eight foot tall, like five titted. We'll, we'll take some total recall on that one. Yeah. Possibly, oh, yeah. Could, yeah. Could do all sorts of fun stuff. Add some antennae um, there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's who, that, that's, that. She'd be great. And she passes along information. She's secretly, she's pulling off some honeypot and getting a, a, an imperial in trouble. She has a no loyalties. She's a no loyalties kind of character. Yeah, yeah. she's oh, she's in it for herself. She's in it for herself Absolutely. and her girls and her girls. Awesome. And she'll have a cadre of, of <laughs> alien babes. I love that. We'll finally add some sex back to the to, the, to Star Wars. Now this uh, was brought in entirely by our birth in a cone conversation. Uh, Hewell Babineau himself, Lavelle Crawford. Mercenary? I, Bounty hunter? I think so. I mean, he's he's a big fella, um, and so you you do not think of him as a very active person, but like I buy, I sew in um, both Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, buy him as a bodyguard, and like him, you know, his talent for slipping uh, things off of people... I also buy him as a petty thief. And one of the things about him that I think is like works for him is despite being a big and kind of cartoonish looking man, he hides in plain sight. And mm-hmm. so I would see him as or a thief. I think, you know, he does make for a good thief so, kind of wild card fucks up the, like the kind of could have had could have had Kamel Nanjiani's role maybe in Obi-Wan and made that show slightly better <laughs> i hate come on that Johnny. i don't i don't uh, hate him he, i just i'm sick of seeing him and everything so yeah he could he could also just tell the truth and say that he takes steroids it's fine no one no one no one cares Kamal. it's it's fine dude you look jacked you're great yep good for you <laughs> um we could you could uh, but no i i think i think that you're that you could get again somebody on the on, on shades of gray um a thief could work because it yes big guy but you can have present like you can have dexterity or nimbleness at any size mm-hmm. i think is fair to say there's plenty of there's plenty of actors who have gotten away with not being a waif and yet having you know being a character that that, that embodies their movements and has you know like you can have you could have that you could have some sleight of hand or some trickery or well you know. and again not to get all over romantic about like oh the movies used to be so magical but one of the things about this and i, I feel this as as a woman, like women, female, like actresses used to be able to be um, just, you always had to be skinny, let's not, let's not lie, mm-hmm. but you could be just regular skinny. And now you have to be skinny and in amazing athletic shape. Like Daisy Ridley is, is an Olympic weightlifter. Um, with guys, even more so, like I don't think Harrison Ford was you know a perfectly in shape actor when he was cast in Star Wars, but now you have to go through like a Chris Prattification to become a leading or even supporting role. And I just like I do. If there's one small thing Hollywood can do to make things more interesting and cast more interesting people, it's like just cast normal looking dudes. You know, first of all, stop casting only white people, but like even beyond that, like 
why does everyone have to be a jack show um well, you know, like you uh, you are so a very I, in shape guy and even you would be told like Tri- trim some fat mike to be in this well, movie well that's yeah. and th- thank you thank you thank you mike you um, look great but no <laughs> oh thank you um no i think i think you're right because okay you know what we've never seen in the star wars universe a gym <laughs> we've never seen no 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 no. and what you're telling me that you're on some you're on some blown out planet and you how much access do you have to protein are you going to be getting are you going to be getting one gram of protein for every pound you weigh mm-hmm. are you going to be do you have time when you are smuggling something from the empire do you really think you have time to have leg day or to have a push day or a pull day? These people don't know have... what chia seeds are. Right. Yeah. They, they No, because they're probably sentient and they're, they probably have a complex system and they're not even like a, they're not, they're not a seed. They're actually a sentient creature. Um, uh, no, but like uh, Star Wars, especially you don't need, Maybe if in a gladiatorial context, if you've got a gladiatorial character and you could get away with it with the Mandalorian, maybe because they're a bounty hunter. But no, if anything, they should have functional muscle. They shouldn't yeah. have they shouldn't have I work out all day and I definitely only eat chicken and broccoli. I definitely don't you know, whether it's Michael B. Jordan or Kamal Nanjiani or Well, any even of the Adam other Driver in his up. little shirtless scene, uh like Well, I you know, in the episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where Dennis, they, they, they're they trying to work the Korean restaurant and Dennis is trying to seduce the waitress and he takes off his uh, his shirt and he's only like kind of in shape and the actress just starts laughing at him. That is kind yeah. of how I felt with like with the Adam Driver shirtless. I'm like, what are they trying to do here? What are they trying to do? See, Who's this for? See, that would be okay. That would be okay. If they didn't weirdly try to with the lighting and everything and with the at the camera work try to make it look sexual, if they just been like he doesn't wear a shirt sometimes, mm-hmm. it would have been fine. Yep. Although that is kind of unique. I'm trying to think of shirtless people that we see in the in 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 the show, and it's not or in, in anything no. in in the Star Wars universe. Like people, they're they're a bunch of never nudes. Again, there's there's the role for David Cross. <laughs> is he's the galaxy's first nudist? There are um, literally dozens of them. Exactly. All right. Now, before I ask you about the peak, I am going to ask you something that I I hope this answer delights me. So, uh, as mentioned uh, earlier, you are a dad to a pretty awesome kid, Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know he's not. He's all right. He's he's all right. Um, He's not quite at Star Wars age yet. When he is at Star Wars age, what are you most excited to show him or share with him? That is such a tough question because. Kids don't care about <laughs> old stuff. It's true. Like, like imagine you're six years old and your parents are like, now, Brie, I want you to watch one of my favorite movies when I was growing up. And it's Gone with the Wind or like The Sound of Music or something. You'd be like, what is this boring old? This movie's way too long. I don't know. Wait, everyone in this movie is dead? I don't care. So like, as much as what I would love to show Gabe is it would be a new hope yeah. because it's, it's, you know, the, 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 the giant on which everything else stands upon. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I feel like maybe clone wars mm-hmm. would maybe be the, would maybe be the bit 
it, um, it might have to be intro through toys as well and that's where you know for yeah. all my criticism of the star wars cynicism if if a little grogu plush is what gets the kids into star wars i can't entirely be mad at that you know yeah i mean and you never know what they're going to take what they're going to take hold of mm -hmm. uh uh you know um it could be it, for for all I know, my my kid could be like the world's greatest Diego Luna fan, <laughs> and just and just be like Andor. That's the one for me. That's what gets me into it. But who knows? Well, uh, I will say I'm I'm looking forward to like that's that's the best things about having kids. You get to teach them to like the things you like and hate the things you hate. I will say, even though I completely agree with what you're saying. Um, I was exposed to things like the sound of music and stuff as a little kid because I was raised by a professional musician who I don't okay. think has listened to anything written after 1980. So, um, yeah, that's uh, unfortunately you cannot use me as a barometer for normal children. Um, you know, hence the uh, age six Danny DeVito obsession. That's uh, just uh, the unfortunate thing about which is which Marie. is. You which is you're obsessed with the concept of Danny DeVito being age six, right? That's what it is. <laughs> no, no. Um, but I am I'm it, being facetious. But when now. you think about it, I, I am now at 33 fixated on the fact that Oswald Cobblepot was supposed to be like my age yeah. in that movie. And he was, like, was he 50 at the time or like 48 at the time when that was filmed? I'm sure of it. Yeah. I, uh, uh. Um, okay. So we have gotten to the peak. So, Mike, I want to ask for you, and it doesn't even have to be a specific film. It can be an era uh, or a time in your life, but what is peak Star Wars for you? So, we have gotten very close to discussing the peak inadvertently this entire show <laughs> because I do have, I definitely, I have a peak. I might be able to give you a uh, an exact date. But it would be in the spring of 2002. Cool. Which is directly before Attack of the Clones comes out. Mm -hmm. Because it comes out in May. They were May releases, at least the first two were, I know, because uh, uh, the first one came out, again, the day before my 13th birthday. Um, but I think Revenge of the Sith felt like a winter release, wasn't it? In Sith? Maybe I, I I know the first two are one's like May nineteenth, oh, the other ones. You are correct. It's it's all May. That was also a May one. There we go. Okay. So anyway, two thousand two. So, two thousand two. But I have to specify the first half, like the the, the first half of, of of May of two thousand and two, would be the peak or thereabouts, maybe late April. It has to be before uh, that the the worst movie comes out. Mm -hmm. The worst movie comes out ever possibly ever made um because by that point in my life i have read all of my favorite star wars books at that point i've read the whole rogue squadron series i've read some of the corn horn stuff for you corn horn fans in the in the audience corn holio um yeah yeah uh kieran halcyon if uh, if you prefer uh his old jedi name anyway um but I'd read a bunch of the books that I really loved. This would have been at the very onset of what was going to be sort of the end of Star Wars, uh, called part of the Yuzan Vong series of books, which came out in around the same time that I would have been reading. And so really cool things were happening there. Um, I had, you know, obviously for my birthday three years prior, I had seen Phantom Menace and loved that. I had the Lego had come out. Lego, which I had always loved my whole life, and, and, and that was there. And then, as I had mentioned, 
uh, with video games. I believe uh, Rogue Leader was a launch title for the GameCube, mm-hmm. and it came out in 2001. So I might not have had it right away when it came. Like it, I got, I got uh, a GameCube for Christmas in 2001. So that there was this pocket of time between the start of January of of 2002 until May, until mid-May, where I had everything <laughs> and nothing had ever done me wrong. Everything was perfect. I'd had, I, I had the, my favorite game. I had my toys that I loved that were Lego. I had read all of these books. The universe was bright. And of course, I, uh, I, I would then turn um, 16, which is, I think, sort of when liking Star Wars that much and that wholesomely should end for everyone. And it ended very abruptly. That does feel like at times I have totally uh, subscribed to the idea of peak as right before you fall off the cliff. Because we've had a lot on this show that is, you know, it pe- it peaks, but then it's a nice gentle slope down. You know, something like a, a Parks and Rec or a King of the Hill or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is also why, like, some people have asked me, like, would you, my my favorite show of all time un- un- unapologetically is Breaking Bad. And, like, would I do a, a peak of Breaking Bad and or you know throw a better call Saul in there or would I do a peek of this director and that director and it's like I can't if it is too saturated with good you know mm-hmm. you try to tell someone what the peak of Breaking Bad is like I can't because it ends perfectly um, and Star Wars might be one of the biggest peaks and valleys ever and one of the other struggles with Star Wars is that it's very difficult to be a completist of it you know like you were able to absorb all this. Like there are a lot of people who consider themselves big fans who have never picked up an extended universe novel. And, you know, the more you read about it, the more feelings you can develop about it and stuff. And uh, yeah. Well, and and I mean, the other thing that's such a betrayal is that all of those books, like the, like when, when the, when the sequel trilogy came out, I was, I say heartbroken Christ. I was in my, late 20s i can't be heartbroken about a fiction property at 29 or whatever but they were just like oh by the way all that stuff is is now legends none of it's real it's it it might have happened it's an else world it's a multiverse it's a, a, a could have maybe mm-hmm. and i'm like wait 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 you're telling me all these characters i cared about none of them fucking matter i know none of them fucking mattered ever nothing really does right but like i was like ah this is all right you you don't you you're okay without me you're 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 doing completely fine without me then i get it star wars mm-hmm. you know like that's <laughs> so that that was hard on that one but yeah so i guess that's my next most important question because this is going to be i think one of the biggest chasms what is the gap between the best of star wars and the worst of star wars like if if say Empire Strikes Back is A plus, like what's the F? Because I know there are Fs. Um, I mean, I think the F is is uh, uh, the F starts with a D. It's 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 Disney. Disney keeping this thing alive. I know I did this when we talked. I know I did this when we talked about Arrested Development, and I know I said this when we did that little like mini sode on on King of the Hill about how it's cool to let a property die. Mm-hmm or just be 
and you don't have to update it and you don't have to touch it. Um, the F is the F is that Solo, a Star Wars story, mm-hmm. made four hundred million dollars and is considered a flop. Yep, <laughs> it's not a great movie, but it made four hundred million dollars. Yeah, but it cost three hundred million dollars. That movie cost three hundred million dollars to make and get out into market. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but it did. It made. There's like. Not very many things make $400 million. If that's the stakes that we're at here, how can you ever hope to be successful? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 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 so I just feel that like that being the Disney, and then also what Kathleen Kennedy, who's one of the producers, what she said, which she's been lying about as well, though, is that what they learned from Solo was that you can't recast any of the original characters. Okay, well, then why did you technically recast both of them uh, for Obi-Wan? Yeah. You're full of shit. Um, uh, Disney, Disney, uh, uh, is keeping things alive and is, and is market testing things of what they think people want. We didn't need a Han Solo origin story because we had it already. It was in a bar in the Los Eisley Cantina on Tatooine in 1977. I would argue there are, there are a certain number of characters that exist in pop culture that I actively do not want an origin story or even an expanded story for. Um, I would argue, like like you said about Boba Fett, I do not care about expanding on on Boba Fett. Um, I do not want an origin story for Han Solo. Um, it's kind of how a lot of people felt when um, when they announced an origin story for the Joker, which I actually, I, mm-hmm. I am not a Joker hater. I, I actually rather liked Joker, but still, I, in principle, I do not believe the Joker should have an origin story. Even, you know, to bring it Breaking Bad again, Gustavo Fring. I don't want a Gustavo Fring origin story. Um, so I... It's, you know, kind of like coming back to Lucas with the the midichlorians, like you do just kind of wonder who told him people wanted that. Um, and I I have complicated feelings about like listening to fans too much. Uh, I do. I believe focus grouping kills art. But at the same time, um it, well, and also, you know, like Eric had said with with the sequel trilogy, one of the things that just made Rise of Skywalker completely fly off the rails was too much bending to what the worst of the fans wanted, um, especially when it came to um, just the most misogynistic, loud, line, whiny of the fans. Um, but yeah, I, I don't believe in focus grouping something to death, but maybe that would have helped in some cases. Like I just, I pictured George Lucas and I'm going to do my really bad George Lucas impression here, but oh yeah, everyone, everyone's going to like this. I, I just sound like Jordan Peterson, I think. Um, but can you, can you do rainbow connection? Um, <laughs> Why like are there Kermit. so many? No, like he, I do find he has a really uniquely whiny, strange voice though. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, when I do it, I just sound like Jordan Peterson. Um, but yeah, like I just want to be in his head when he decided everyone's going to like this. Everyone's going to be really excited about this. I mean, I don't know, but, but but there's there's tons of articles about Jar Jar and how he thought Jar Jar Binks was going to be like the character, the guy that kids that, that glommed onto. Were... Yeah. Like as an and... adult, I think Jar Jar is a horribly racist caricature. I wasn't thinking that at 9, but you know what I was thinking? He's annoying and he's ugly and I don't like him. Like I, I don't think kids like Jar Jar at all. No, I don't think I don't think anyone did. No. Um, and, and so, but by the same token, here is a guy that 
he made a great world mm-hmm. and it's really cool because because of selling it to Disney in its own way, hypothetically speaking, you have open sourced a world. You could tell so many stories. Disney's not going to tell them. And I don't know if anyone like, but like there are so many things that you could, there are so many different people you could talk about. There are so many different things. And like, this is also why the Obi-Wan story was so bankrupt to me was like, I'm not worried for Leia or Obi-Wan. You want to know why? Cause I know where they're going to be in a few years. Yeah. I don't care about the third or fourth most important day of their lives. I just don't. That's not how books or movies should work. Mm -hmm. You should know about the most important days of their life because that's blowing up the Death Star. You know, (laughs) that's what that's about. Uh, The time that she got captured by pirates, but somehow we don't have any reference to it in the original movies that, that, that he'd met Leia before. Okay. Uh, you know, like it's just, it just, it's, it, it, it tell a new story. It's taken away. It doesn't have to. Like it's, it's uh, wedging something in awkwardly. And then also just like, you care about this. You can't like, that's, I do feel like even the good stuff with Star Wars, I have just been told whether it's by Disney or by George Lucas or you care about this. You care about this. Uh, and, and do I, I guess um, it does. Yeah. It's George Lucas standing outside on a field saying, am I so out of touch? No, it's the millennials who are wrong. Um, you know, that's. Well, now it's, but now it's Disney now. Like they're the ones that are pumping out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got, you know, mini series, but ongoing shows with Mandalorian and, and Boba Fett mm-hmm. and then Andor is, is coming out. Which does. That's not all they have good. in the works. I, I think Andor uh, looks Andor like. Andor does look good. It, it looks good. Uh, it looks unnecessary. Um, yep. you know, like I just, I feel like, and I, I don't know which, I, I know I've said this on a peak show episode before. It might've been one of our Simpsons episodes. I don't know how much longer, and, and I, I don't think I'm actually doing this, but I, I have kind of gotten to the point where I am saying with the TV series, maybe this'll be the one you guys, you know, like, uh-huh. I, and, and Mando is probably the best of them. Um, I think Mando, because Pedro Pascal is so damn charming and cool. But um, yeah, like with with all the miniseries, I feel like maybe this is going to be the one. And it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not because because we're not we're not fifteen. Yeah. We're not eight. We're not. You know, enough time has passed. Maybe 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 the Obi Wan show is going to inspire a lot of people to hang up you and McGregor posters on their walls. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, I don't think it will. Right. Um, and I don't, th- I don't think there's going to be a lot of Diego Luna posters. Maybe, but maybe I could be wrong. Maybe your kid will have one of them. All right, Mike. Uh, who knows? Well, so we have come to the close of our peak show. Tell, tell the wonderful people where they can follow you on Twitter. Yeah, um, it's at by Mike Stevens. Uh, uh, Stevens is S T E P H E N S. The correct way to spell Stevens, not the weird way with the B. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, uh, you can follow me there for opinions many a lot of opinions opinions and a lot of um if if you're anyone but me really good steak content you post a lot of good steak content uh i do i do like to cook yes so there is there is that too that is fantastic all right as for me i've been your host brie you can follow me on twitter at prune underscore underscore tracy or follow this show at peak show pod we have one episode left this season we've got uh 
fellow blonde nerd Ted Raymond coming back for one more Star Wars digression. And then we have our uh, flop culture season finale. We're bringing back guest favorites Mint, Liz, and Fred to talk about the year that has been in pop culture. Uh, season two of Peak Show has been such a resounding success, and so I just want to like thank everyone so much for being awesome and supportive of the show. Uh, and uh, then I need a freaking break. So special thanks to Jack Dump for composing our original theme music. Thank you to Jared Daly for creating the show logo and all of its art. Take it easy and remember, luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. Now that's what I call podcasting.